0: it's wednesday april 13 2022 and this is kbia's views of the news our weekly roundtable on media behavior comes to you from the studio at the reynolds journalism institute i'm amy simons and here with me are my missouri school of journalism colleagues kathy kiley and ernest perry on our program this week We are going to be talking about CNN and HBO. They are among those with a new boss this week. We'll talk about the new media giant, Warner Brothers Discovery, and life after AT&T.
1: DNC, America's Black News Channel.
0: While we were on hiatus, we saw the end of the Black News Channel. We'll talk about what led to the cable network's demise and why former employees want to know when they're going to get paid. And if this isn't reason enough to stop using the term young journalists to refer to those new to our profession, the growing number of retirees picking up their pens to cover local news. There's a lot more that hopefully we'll get to today before our half hour is up, but we're gonna start with a little navel gazing and we're gonna talk about journalists and where they're spending their time during the workday before and after too. It's a throwback to the first Blackberries. We were able to connect to social media and over time our phones became so vital to what we were doing that if we were covering sports, politics, depending on the state and whether or not you were allowed to have a camera phone in the courtroom, courts too, we couldn't live without our phones. And it wasn't because we were using them to call back into the office. We were tied to refreshing our Twitter feeds. We would refresh them constantly looking to see who was breaking news and what we needed to be doing to catch up with them. And Twitter today is not the Twitter of 2008. I think about when I was um, covering breaking news at the Chicago Tribune and managing the homepage and waiting to see where LeBron James was going to announce uh Uh, Was it LeBron James or now am I forgetting? It was LeBron James when he announced he was taking his talents down to Miami. That was announced on Twitter. Had to find it out there. Twitter today, though, not the Twitter of 2008, 2012, even of 2018. And that's one of the reasons why the New York Times' Dean McKay is suggesting to his staff that it's time to step away from the platform a bit.
2: Yeah, it's a really interesting decision on his part. And um, I think... um, you know, I think it's a healthy signal. Actually, um, I think uh, he did not say to get off Twitter.
0: No, he said he, scale
2: it back. Right, but scale it back, and I think um, I think what you're seeing is a reaction to uh, two things. One. Um, Uh, journalists tending to get, um, as you said, navel-gazing, it becomes, and I always was struck by this, you know, people who would go onto social media and point to how many people had retweeted them or liked their post, and I would think, but you work for the New York Times, you know, which is really a much more powerful platform, Uh, but... Obviously, social media has come along, and it was really attracting attention, and particularly reporters' time and attention. So that was one thing. The other thing, I think, that we've learned, and this goes to the point you made, Amy, about this is not the Twitter of 2008, um, is that it has become a vector for attacking reporters, particularly uh, reporters who are female and or of color. And I think, I mean, I know it was one of the things that was stated in Bekay's memo and then in some other memos that uh, other New York Times leaders put out the same day. Uh, One of the things they were addressing is how journalists can protect themselves and what they can do if they are trolled on Twitter. And I will tell you it's something we talk about in our classes. Um, And that is a new development, Mm newish. But I think it's gotten to the point where uh, newsroom leaders feel they have to address it.
1: Yeah, I mean, in, in 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 the spirit of transparency, I am not on Twitter. Have never been on Twitter. Have no plans to be on Twitter. Uh, but one of the things that I've seen over the course of its growth, uh, especially in journalism, is more of a tendency to actually report in a Twitter-like fashion. It's just one particular
0: a sentence at a time. Iterative t- yeah,
1: reporting. Yes, yes, and and really getting to the heart of stories. And being able to connect facts and provide context is very lacking in that in that space, and that's to me part of the problem. I think even even the reporters themselves uh, were, were were basically saying, "Whoa, wait a minute, we we can't tell." The full story in 120 characters, however many characters I have now, yeah. and that's not serving the public that we claim we want to serve. And I think this is where Dean Piquet was going, and others are going. It's like, look, we're not really telling the stories in a way that's going to be beneficial to our audience by doing this. Yes, it is a, it is something that we can use in our, in our fact finding, and maybe possibly in our early distribution of stories, but it can't be the end-all, be-all. Yeah, and I think it that. was
2: it was becoming the tale that wagged the dog. Right. And, you know, there's a great line by T.S. Eliot, I have measured out my life in coffee spoons. Uh-huh. And I think, you know, you got the sense that uh, Baquet was feeling like, you know, hey, you're leaving your best stuff in the locker room, guys. You know, quit with the incremental stuff and let's take the time we need to to put that kind of context in there. And if you were constantly feeding Twitter, you're not gonna have the time to do that.
0: So there's two things there that I completely buy into. There is that idea that you're leaving your best stuff out on the table, the other part of it, um, Going all the way back to 2010 or 2011, what was then called ASNE, the American Society of News Editors, issued what was seen as a very controversial social media policy. And one of the 10 points in that policy was to break news on the company's website, not on Twitter. And the other part of this argument that I buy into is we are the New York Times. Why are we giving all of our best content, even if it is in 280? characters why are we giving that revenue to another company? Why aren't we driving those people to our own products instead? Both of those points I can buy into completely and wholeheartedly. The part about the trolling, that one is sitting with me a little differently and I'd be interested in knowing what each of you think because there's part of me in there that feels like it's a little bit of victim blaming in that for so long, reporters had been required to be in that space and in other publications are still required. It's not optional universally for, for journalists right now. And when you're required to be in that space to then say, well, yeah, the trolling, you don't want to get trolled anymore. To me, that feels a little bit of victim blaming. You're putting your people out there in that environment. Don't be giving them tips to, you know, it's, it, it's almost like saying that what's the cause of sexual assault? Well, don't wear those clothes. Right. To it, me, that's how I'm interpreting it.
1: I, I see where you're coming from, but I think it's, it's also what's part of it now is that uh, it doesn't matter who gets the blame. Mm-hmm.
0: This,
1: is a, this is where we are right now. How do we deal with this? And I think what, what many news organizations and a lot of organizations, not just news, are starting to realize is that the trolling and the attacks have a toll, a, 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 both a physical and a mental toll on people, and I think that's where the where the, the 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 problem is coming in is that these companies, including media organizations, are having to deal with the the mental uh, uh, issues that that occur because of the trolling and the attacks, uh, as well as the physical as well. I mean, you when you have to create a threat group to deal with this, which the New York Times has had to do. I mean, now you're talking about you're talking about monetary cost here. So that goes back to what you were talking mm-hmm. about in terms of you know, yeah, we're we're engaged in Twitter and we're putting news out there, and Twitter is benefiting from it f- financially. Well, we're benefiting in some ways financially too, but it's also costing us in terms of of our employees' health and well being.
2: Yeah, and I think it's it's clear that the in this case the decision was made the cost outweighs the benefits i mean i completely agree with you amy that um it was and i was there when it happened uh it was definitely news organizations pushing reporters to get out there on social media because it was a marketing tool
0: my job was threatened by it in 2008 you want to be on the digital staff what kind of a role model are you if you're not on twitter
2: yeah and so there was definitely a lot of pressure to be out there and to put personal things out there because they want to see you as a human being. And now we see how vulnerable that has made people and their families. And so I think, I read what Bekay did more as saying, uh, we're not telling you to do that anymore. Uh, we are telling you, you can make your own decisions, but it's okay if you don't want to do this. And uh, so I think it's a, I think it's a good move and I, I think more
0: organizations will follow it. Yeah. Okay. so. You know, one of my favorite things to do every Monday morning is to watch John Oliver. And I'm watching it Monday morning when most of the rest of the world watches Sunday night. We know I don't stay up late. Well, this Monday morning, I woke up and I watched one of the items in his weekly news roundup was a mention of DirecTV pulling One American News Network off of its program lineup. We've talked about that in the past. If you want to know why, we can get you that information. But what was interesting was what was at the end of that and that's what you're gonna hear in this next clip.
1: The provider that he's referring to there is TV, which is a subsidiary of a parent company I will not mention because I don't even like uttering their name out of my mouth. Interestingly, as of Friday, AT&T officially no longer owns us, so it is goodbye from me, business daddy, and let me just say this, which is frankly, two more bars than you have ever had.
0: Clearly, someone's happy that AT&T isn't the boss anymore <laughs> and that Warner Brother, that the Warner Brothers Discovery takeover is complete. With that, we have another new media giant that's been established w- out there.
1: We have another new media giant, but not necessarily new. I mean, you know, Warner okay, Brothers- an additional giant. Because yeah, we think about the size yeah. of like
0: uh, of Disney right, and right. one that's that big of a, a, a Goliath.
1: Right. I mean, so what, what, it, what you basically have is you have AT&T, which is the, by and large a tech- telecommunications Mm -hmm. company exiting out of the entertainment world Uh, and now at least as far as Warner Brothers people are are concerned they are giddy they Mm -hmm. are happy not to be under the thumb of of AT&T fine Discovery can come in they mainly do television Uh, you know you've seen all those the Discovery Channel and that sort of thing they're doing all that but at least there's some entertainment connection there. And so they're happy about that. And Warner Brothers is going back to its roots, bringing somebody in who has an uh, understanding of, of entertainment. And And really what happens here is that uh, they're going to have to navigate in a space that's much different than what it was prior to, prior to COVID, prior to at and taking over. Are we going to do big blockbuster movies are we gonna go straight to continue to go straight to streaming? are we going to go back to theaters are we going to try to do a hybrid of that uh, how much money are we gonna put into? the production of, of of these shows all of these things now they have to to figure that out but i mean you know as john oliver stated they're all happy about it because now <laughs> yes, they, know, they, are. they don't they the, don't the, have to those worry those two with that.
0: bars for those of you who may not have been able to see it and we did block it out for those who could for sensitive audiences he was giving the middle finger finger salute with both hands right. those <laughs> two bars he hadn't had previously um One of the big products that became a part of this, and by big, I guess I really just mean in terms of hype, because in the first 10 days that CNN Plus's new streaming platform is out there, there was a a report that they've had 10,000 subscribers. That is like literally less than one-tenth of the number of people who live in Colombia.
1: Just a bit above comedy.tv.
0: Right, exactly. (laughs) Like comedy.tv. There are... the, okay, put this one into perspective, right? We're at the University of Missouri. There's something like three times as many students enrolled in our university as there are viewers of CNN Plus. That's not such a good sign right now. That becomes one of the products they have to look at pretty hard. Well,
2: yeah, and I mean, we've talked about that here. It's, you know, the, the, it, it is balkanization mm-hmm. of audience and, um, and everybody's gonna try this. Uh, how long they'll stay in it is unclear. And I think, uh, you know, We've all talked about this at this table. How many streams can you possibly accommodate in your budget? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so are people going to prefer to stream Disney or CNN, uh, especially when the same type of content uh, you can get? On your cable channel, you do get on your cable channel. So unless they come up with something that really distinguishes them, and they think they did, but it clearly didn't distinguish them enough, yeah. I, I think that's a really hard sell. Well, inc- go ahead.
1: No, go ahead I was just going to say, you know, the 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 problem with the the streaming services right now is that, you know. Now, the streaming services are bundling. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you. HBO
0: you, Max, which is part of this entire deal, right, right. which includes all of the products. So, you have TCM, right. you have Cinemax, you have Comedy Central, you have. I don't know, some anime thing, too. Go ahead. Right, but, but, but it's I mean, an example of but, but that. But it's
1: an example of that. I mean, so everything is bundled now. So it's do you go to the bundling with the streaming? Or are you going to bundle with cable? Or are you going to bundle with sam- uh, satellite? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, again, people have, are going to have choices. They're going to go like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, I'm, I, I can't have all, as you said, Kathy, I can't have all of them. This is what I'm going to take. What kind of value does CNN Plus bring to that table when you're looking at, and which bu- which bun which streaming bundle I'm going to go with? And right now I don't see I don't. We talked about this when they first announced yeah. CNN Plus and the fact that they went on and they got Chris Wallace and they and they pulled I can't remember the woman's name from from MSNBC. Uh, they pulled her over yeah. and a couple of other people and their Anderson Cooper is coming in and he's going to do a special show. They're rerunning Anthony Bourdain and CNN Plus. Brian Stelter is
0: doing his media criticism show every day. I'm trying to think about what we talk about in a week. How does he do that every day?
1: Right. Well, the, but that's unless his entire thing is the well, same and that's thing. The thing. Yeah. You already yeah. have a
2: 24-hour cable right. channel. Right. What are you going to add to that?
1: Right.
0: And, and as soon as
2: you start rerunning dead people, you know you're in trouble. <laughs> That's, oh, right. Whole, 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 That's
0: right. Whole. As popular as they may have exactly. been. Be. Um, yeah. And you know, I was thinking about this too, literally, as we're talking about it, it's not about me until it's about me, right? So my HBO Max subscription is a freebie that comes with my unlimited data package on my AT&T cell phone subscription. And I'll tell you, until about I don't know, a minute and a half ago, I was excited about some of these rumors that CNN Plus may get rolled up into HBO Max. That may be the only way to save it. Right. right. But at the same time, who knows if AT&T is still going to give me that service as part of that bundle. So (laughs) my days with HBO Max may be limited, too. Um, I want to spend a few minutes talking about something that happened a few weeks ago while we were on our break, and that's the collapse of the Black News Channel. On March 24th, Human Resources notified employees there that their paychecks were gonna be late. The next day, the Florida-based company filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy and ceased operations. Now, when this network launched two years ago, it was a huge beacon of hope, promising a fresh approach to cable news. It was going to be by black people, for black people. And from the outset, this organization was plagued with problems from a late launch to issues with sexism and misogyny among the ranks and inability to draw an audience I mean we've talked about some of the streaming only issues
1: right. well I mean the, the problem here with the black news channel we talked about this when it launched do they have enough capital in order to be able to get up and running and and become uh, something that would be sustainable mm-hmm. right and they they just didn't have it. I mean, you know, Shahir Khan, who owns the um, Jacksonville, Jacksonville Jaguars. Jaguars and who also owns a, a wrestling uh, conglomerate, uh, he was funding it. And eventually, what happened was he said, "Well, you know, I'm not getting a return on investment, so I'm pulling the plug." And and this after all the things that you 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 listed. Uh, just, just weighed a doubt along with the fact that it had moved away from what it initially said it was going to do, uh, in terms of doing stories about Black people for Black people and and bringing them into the into the larger mix of of, of news. It had begun to shift into. The familiar pattern that we see in cable news, which is you start having these talk shows and you bringing people in, they were bringing in conservatives, they were highly bringing in, controversial, it, exactly conservatives. people
0: like uh, Larry Elder, Ben Carson, right. C.J. Pearson, some of the Bill Cosby uh, advocate spokespeople and apologists too, exactly,
1: and that turned people away. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. again, it goes back to you know you have twenty four hours to fill. How are you gonna feel that? And one of the ways that they traditionally feel that in, in these news channels is with these talk shows and commentary because they're cheap to do and it provides platforms for various people who agree with your with with with, with their philosophy. And JC Watts was was running this, Republican from Oklahoma, it slanted toward what he thought was important to bring in an audience. I mean, you think about it. The Republican Party, Mm -hmm. uh, which many blacks would say is no friend to black people, uh, bought a $5 million ad buy Mm -hmm. on the Black News Channel. That's J.C. Watt. So again, you start infusing that the the politics and infusing all of that into these talk shows, and all of a sudden, your original mission is lost.
0: Especially in the timing of it. I mean, we talked about this Originally, you know, trying to launch in February of 2020, May of 2020, you have the death of George Floyd and to be bringing on folks like Christopher Rufo, who is an anti-social justice advocate, really deteriorates that audience and alienates it. Um, One of the things, there's a story on our links blog, Kathy, one of the things that kind of adds additional pain to this story, the employees who were there who received that March 24th email, they have still not gotten paid, and as a result, of the bankruptcy filing likely aren't going to for a very long time.
2: Yeah, there's nothing more classy than a news organization going down, is there? Uh, it's a really terrible thing uh, for those employees. And I think, of course, that's what the bankruptcy filing does. Mm-hmm. It uh, it protects the company and pushes the creditors into a line. And um, I would bet that the creditors who will be at the back of that line will be the employees.
1: And you still have those lawsuits sitting out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's a huge issue as well. I mean, you're talking about sexual harassment, misogyny, uh, you know, uh, all of those things, I mean, it, it, it was almost from its inception it began to have problems well, that centered on and more in HR and how you treat people as opposed to what you were there to do, which was to provide news and information to an underserved community.
2: Yeah, I think there's another question here, and really, uh, you know, Dean Perry is the expert on this, but <laughs> I, I think there's a question of whether um, whether now there's room for channels that cater. It's funny, we got out of um, the women's page and we got out, it was, it was viewed as, oh, we're now going mainstream, right? And now we have the 19th. Um, and I, I want you, we've talked so much on, at this table about the number of African American executives who are rising to top positions in mainstream media. Is there a place for an organization that focuses on news for buying about a particular demographic group. and I, I don't know what the answer is. I'm just putting the question out there. Well,
1: I, I don't know what the answer is either. And, and here's what complicates it because people get their news and information from so many various sources. Uh, and a lot of it is 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 pretty much filtered straight to them by friends, families, and and how they filter their their social media. Uh, platforms or whatever platform they're using it's difficult for a particular news organization or any uh, media organization to say I'm only going to provide this mm-hmm. and then that that can be viable because people are getting their news and information from so many different sources and they're not, and they don't tend to go to one place and, and whether you're talking about uh a, a news organization that's, that's catering to a particular segmented audience or one that is trying to be general market like say the New York Times, Washington Post, uh, you know, NBC, that sort of thing. They're all operating in that space. So it makes it difficult to say, I'm catering to this audience when that audience is is the one, the audience itself is deciding where they're gonna get their news and information.
0: This isn't just a demographic example, but I also think about, and maybe this is top of mind because of some work I've been doing lately, but I think about the Cranes publications in New York, in Chicago, Cleveland, Detroit, how they are trying to reach a business-centered and executive audience, but are covering politics, are covering sports, so that they become that one publication for a different demographic. I'm not necessarily talking about race or gender, but I'm talking about that professional that person in the business community so that we're thinking of them as a whole consumer of news, not just as, you know, that person who's the person at the bank. Yeah,
2: Bloomberg does that too, you know, with all of their entertainment and lifestyle. But here's the
1: difference there. Uh, Those brands have been solidified.
0: Mm -hmm. People
1: know those brands and they go to those brands. So, you know, in these new operations, you haven't built a brand yet. So that makes it very, and even when you do build a brand, i.e. CNN Plus, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's actually gonna work. Gonna
0: move, yep. (laughs) So Pulitzer Prize winners Jody Cantor and Megan Toohey have a new book out called Chasing the Truth, a Young Journalist's Guide to Investigative Reporting. And while I am sure it is a great book and offers a lot of really useful instruction, Want to take umbrage with that title for the ageism that's in there because there's something out that tells me that there are people out there who are going to agree with me hopefully the two of you um and- the new experienced core working with Report for America. And I found this great piece, it's on our links blog this week from AARP's magazine. Uh, And it is reporting on a cadre of newer reporters, primarily made up of retirees who saw the importance of covering local news, the dearth in reporting, and they wanted to step up and fill that void. And we often talk about young journalists when we should be talking about new. Like here's an entire group of untapped professionals we could be welcoming into our profession that we aren't always thinking about.
2: Yeah, it's genius. And um, you know, I I can remember saying this when I was in Washington mm-hmm. doing some work for the National Press Club, and they were looking for some part time people to do things. And they said, "Oh, we'll hire a young person." I said, "No, no, no. Are you crazy? Your town is full of." of all of these retired journalists who have just been bought out, they don't want to work full-time, they know everything, they know everybody, get a couple of them to do the job. And, you know, there is this whole cadre of boomers who are very healthy, very intellectually interested, and they're on Medicare, so they don't need health insurance, so they're cheap Um, And so I think um, it's really an opportunity for, I think, for a really interesting intergenerational project Mm -hmm. where you get experienced people coming into small newsrooms, um, providing guidance. It's really kind of the Missouri method um, to young journalists. I, I just love this idea.
1: To me, I think it's also one of the ways in which to to combat news deserts. Mm A hundred percent. Because you have uh, in a lot of these places, the 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 traditional newspaper, be it a daily or weekly, is gone. You can start up something uh, that actually covers a lot of the things that they actually care about.
0: And they're, they're, they're fixtures in their communities Absolutely. already. They know the players in the community, you know, people who just enjoy watching a baseball game become your perfect stringers for high school sports. And
1: and, and they know what people are interested in because uh-huh. they, they're they engaged with them. I mean, they know when, when you start talking about issues having to do with property taxes or having to deal with road construction and that sort of thing, they know what... what that that actually means. I mean, most of the really young reporters they haven't experienced that because some of them are fresh out of college. They mm-hmm. haven't owned their own home. They haven't gone through any of that. The 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 older uh, journalists that you have out experience. there the experience <laughs> Thank you. The experience. The, experience, the course, experience that's, that's That's is, right. yeah, That's they,
0: the name and the title that Report for yeah. America yeah, has yeah. given yeah. to right. their, yeah. Their,
2: yeah. their I think the big question, though. Yeah. I, I mean, the big the one uh, question here is, can we get people like that? everywhere. Can we get people like that in a Moberly, Missouri or a Mexico? Because uh, Asheville, which was one of the towns Mm -hmm. um, that was highlighted in the report that you posted on the blog is a really tony upscale retirement community so the question is can this become a wider uh, phenomenon but if it if it does take off I think uh, democracy is the better for it yeah absolutely
0: well we are just about out of time for this week I'd like to thank you for spending your last half hour with us You can read more about the topics we talked about today's program and some that we didn't have time to get to. There are links to those on our blog. You can find it under both the programs and podcast tabs at kbia.org. We're also available wherever you get your podcast downloads. We invite you to like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Our handle there is at Views on KBIA. These are all great ways to watch and listen to our program again, leave comments, questions, see previews of what we'll be talking about next week and more. Our thanks to RJI's Travis McMillan for directing today's show and to Aaron Hay for handling the audio. Tim Pilcher composed our original theme music. I'm Amy Simons. Join us again next week for another edition of Views of the News.